Hey everybody, I'm Jen, bookstore owner. And I'm Amy, bookstore buyer. Here at Bard's Alley Bookshop in Vienna, Virginia. And you are tuned in to We We Speak Speak Volumes, a Bard's Alley Bookshop podcast. This is where we talk about books we love, what they mean to us, and why we want to share them with you. We'll also tell you a little bit about what you may or may not know about them already. We'll discuss stories for all ages and across genres, and during each episode, we will share our own stories as they relate to our titles. So what do you say, Amy? Should we book it? Yeah, let's book it. Hi, listeners. Welcome back. This is Jen and Amy, and we're here to talk about William Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream. And you all know how much I love Amy, and we're like soul sisters, but she can sometimes be a heinous, shrill-tongued parasite. What? Yeah. No, just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Don't look so stricken, okay? All right, friends, I'm actually reading from the Shakespeare Insult Generator, where you can mix and match more than 150,000 insults in the Bard's own words. This is a really fun book that is published by Chronicle Books, and we've had it in our house for a long time, and it's just it's one of those fun things. Yay, Shakespeare, thanks for creating some really, really good words that we can use to insult our friends and have some fun with it. But he actually created about, I think it's around 1,700 words. Wow. Just from his own mind. I know. I know. Shakespeare. He's quite the bard. And a fusty, shrill-tongued pig nut. Oh, wait. That's not a good thing. <laughs> and anything that has pig nut in it can be. <laughs> fusty is Can't. moldy. Moldy. Shrill-tongued is obviously communicating in harsh tones. Yes. And a pig nut. Oh, <laughs> it's an earth nut. An edible tuber's root, like a truffle. Oh, Pig nut. A pig nut. Okay. Pigs, truffles. Anyway, when we were preparing for this recording, I realized how much Shakespeare nonsense I had in my house because we are a fan of the Bard. And I have some playing cards. Mm. I have the uh, great Shakespearean deaths card game. Anyway, it could, I could go on, but we're here to talk about a Midsummer Night's Dream. We are. So let's start now. Now, now? Like now. Amy, take it away. Okay. This is one of my favorite of his comedies. I think it's a very different sort of comedy for him because it relies quite heavily on like the physical nature of the performance. Whereas Much Ado About Nothing or As You Like It relies really heavily on witty banter between the two lovers the main characters. So this one, while full of lovers and of course wedding at the end, there is still some witticism in this, but this really needs the physical comedy to make it shine. So slapstick galore is what we're looking at. It is something to see on the stage. And I know that for me personally, I appreciated that there was fewer than a dozen characters because a lot of times in Shakespeare, and I've seen many, many performances at the Shakespeare Theater here in Washington, D.C., that sometimes it's hard to follow and the names and the people and the places. But seriously, it's such a magical play because we've got the fairies, you know, kind of looking upon the 
the mortals, uh, the humans, and yeah. how they interact together. So I just, I think it's fun. And it is. It's a uh, really lighthearted, and I think we're excited to talk about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. I think you say it's lighthearted, and to a degree it is. But I still think, like, if you just read the play, it's not because it doesn't have that same sharp wit that some of the others do. Like, it can it can really go dark. There's, it's almost there. it starts out like spiteful. Like, it's, everybody's just mad about something, and it's just this conflict right and then you're like where's the comedy come in yeah so it does we'll get you there (laughs) bear with us so the whole play opens um in athens it takes place in athens theseus and hippolyta are he's the duke of athens she is the queen of the amazons they're about to get married in about four days and they're very excited about it despite the fact that they were just at war with one another (laughs) we'll leave that aside in comes aegeus and his daughter Hermia, and Lysander, who's the man she loves, and Demetrius, who is the man she does not. And Aegeus wants Hermia to marry Demetrius. And she says, I don't want to. Not going to do it. And Aegeus says, hey, Duke, tell her what's going to (laughs) happen. Right? If she doesn't. But but she has eyes for another. She does. She's in love with Lysander. Yeah. But that doesn't matter to Aegeus at any rate. Even though Lysander makes his case saying, hey, I'm just as good as this other guy, right? We got the same status. I actually might have a little bit more money than he does. And your daughter loves me. So why wouldn't you choose me? And Aegeus says, I'm just not going to. (laughs) Basically. And the Duke effectively tells her that as the law of the land states, she must obey her father. Or Or there will be consequences. Yeah. Either death or shipped off to the nunnery. Oh. We're never to be seen again. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So she's all in a huff about this and decides, those are my choices, then I choose the nunnery. And yeah, so Theseus tells her to just wait and get back to him. Like, just take a day to think about it. Okay. Wise advice from an elder. Yes. And a duke. Anyway, so Lysander and Hermia are talking and Lysander comes up with this brilliant plan to run away, to go live with his aunt who lives in a different town, and he and Hermia won't have to suffer the law of Athens any longer while there. So they they plan to meet in the woods at midnight the following day. Yep. Hooray! Run away! Yes. And while they're making these plans, in walks their friend Helena, who is in love, obsessive love, with Demetrius. Because... You know, they got a little something something going on yeah, at one he, point. Yes. He, he was into her, and then he just abruptly changed. He, he yeah, fell he in love with Hermia. It was like, sort of like Romeo and Juliet and the whole Rosamond and, mm-hmm. you know, how he was deeply well, yeah, in love with her yeah. before he saw Juliet. Yeah. Man, these kids. I know. tell you. Kids in the 1600s. <laughs> I tell ya. Fickle, fickle, fickle. Fickle. Well, so Helena comes in, and all she can do is say how stricken she is because Demetrius doesn't love her and he favors Hermia and I'm so ugly compared to you and she's not. She's not. She knows she's not. Like she asks all these questions like what did you do to get his attention? She just wishes that he cared half as much for her, Helena we're talking about, because she's so in love with him and yet he loves this woman who wants nothing to do with him. Isn't that an interesting play? Oh. <laughs> See? Yes. See? Demetrius is in the same position as Helena. Yep. With it's, regard it's, to Hermia. It's a double love triangle. Quadrupled and no. A quadrangle? <laughs> quadrangle. <laughs> but it's what's 
Also, maybe not funny, but another point is Demetrius has, like, scorn for Helena. He he is so mean to her. Yeah. And her self-esteem is low. Really low. And all she does is still pine for him, even though he treats her like garbage. Right? Yes. Yes. So, but that really is, like, a discussion for another day. Okay. All these damn bad boys. What a (laughs) jerk. Jerk! Jerk! (laughs) All right. So then the plan is hatched. And they tell Helena of their brilliant plan to meet in the woods and then run away together. And then they go off thinking, yay, everything's great. We have a plan. Hope. Helena, that little minx. (laughs) Oh, no. Goes and tells Demetrius. Like, her plan is to tell Demetrius in hopes that that will somehow win his favor. Oh, idiot. I don't think that worked. Nope. So they all exit the scene and in comes this fabulous group. Basically, they're the clowns of the show. They're referred to by Puck as the rude mechanicals. And basically, they're the workmen in the town of Athens, right? So yes, they're carpenters. Yeah, and weavers. So each of them is identified by their job in the cast of characters. So Nick Bottom is a weaver. Peter Quince is a carpenter. Francis Flute is a bellows mender. Tom Snout is a tinker. Tinker? to be a tinker. I don't even know what that is. Tinker, tailor, soldier, spy. What's a tinker? tinker. What are they? They tinker with things, Amy. Come on. I know, but what does that actually (laughs) mean? (laughs) Anyway, if anybody knows, give me a shout. (laughs) Robin Starveling is a tailor, and then there's Snug. Just Snug. But he has no last name or... or No last name or first name. He's simply... He's just snug. snug. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, they come on. They're making plans to perform the play of Pyramus and Thisbe. The tragedy of Pyramus and... For the wedding of Hippolyta and Theseus. Four days hence. Okay. So they're getting together. They're going to suss out the parts and figure out all of who's going to do what. It's adorable. This this scene is... These guys are hilarious. They are, without a doubt, the characters in the play who are funny, funny, funny. And I have to say, I like these guys. I think they are the best characters in the entire show because they are the most sincere mm. and likable. So with the rest of the gang which we'll learn a lot more about. There's a lot of pettiness that goes on throughout this play with the mortals as well as the fairies. There's all of this jealousy and fighting and things are not good and people are not nice to each other at all. But these guys, they really have like concern for the audience members who might get scared of the lion. You don't want to roar too loudly or <laughs> too realistic. Right. That could upset the ladies and... Bottom eventually gets this. Well, we'll get there, but he's he has to kill himself as Pyramus. Oh, the whole thing about him becoming Pyramus, his being assigned the role of Pyramus. This is all Peter Quince. Peter Quince is the director of these rude mechanicals, and he assigns Bottom the lead, of course, because he's Bottom, and everybody loves Bottom. And then Francis Flute is going to play his lover Thisbe, mm-hmm. and Snug is going to play the lion. Mm. We don't, and the other two are going to play the parents. There are parents in the roles. So as I was rereading the play, I kept hearing and seeing the characters from Friends, the TV show really? Friends, as these. <laughs> it's perfect, though. There are six 
of these mechanicals. Mechanicals, right. And there are six, six friends. friends. Yeah. All right, and well, now you have to tell us who, which character fits into which character. Here we go. <laughs> and part of the reason, I'll explain later, but Nick Bottom is going to be played by Joey Tribbiani. Oh, yes. Peter Quince shall be our good friend Ross Geller. <laughs> <laughs> He's the director, right? Yes. Okay. The director. Francis Flute who's going to be playing Thisbe, should be played by Chandler Bing. Chandler. Chandler. Tom Snout is going to be played by Monica. Robin Starveling will be played by Rachel Green. And Snug, the lion, will be played by Phoebe Buffet. Oh, Can't you see okay. it? Yes. Just being all liony. Yes, I can oh, totally see it. She'd totally get into that. <laughs> anyway... It's all personality, and that's what comes through in the, the words and the actions, oh, like you were saying, well, the physical comedy. And here you go. You yeah. got this, these six players. Yeah. And that and, brought that to your mind. And so fun. Part of it is because in the very beginning where they're doling out the parts, Joey comes in. Yeah. <laughs> Bottom. Bottom. Bottom is, okay, you got to... Hey, Quince, this is how you do it. You got to give everybody their roles. You got to let everybody know what they're going to be playing. And so Peter, you know, oh, oh, who's, who's Pyramus? Tell me about what that character's like. Oh, 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 I'll do this with that character. I'll do that with that character. And then Quince assigns to Thisbe and Bottom is like, oh, oh, I, I, I could do that. I could be this <laughs> or, or the lion. He's, oh, I'd be yes. a great lion. Rah! You know, yeah. like he's, he just gets into it all and it just totally screams <laughs> Joey, Joey Tribbiani. Yeah. Because he's, again, like Joey Tribbiani is this really like sincere sort of goofball. Like, yeah. who is not that smart. I'm sorry, Joey. <laughs> sorry, I'm Joey. really sorry. <laughs> but kind of. And Peter Quince is just, yeah, okay, no, stay yep. on track. Yep. <laughs> right. Are you going to do your Gabras Geller? Uh, not right now. Okay. <laughs> Maybe later. So anyway, I adore them. And yes, I cannot help but see them Yeah, as the characters and friends. Moving on. So that's the, that ends all Act 1. We move into Act 2 where we're now in the woods. And we meet the fairies. Uh, Oberon, who is the king of the fairies. Titania, who's the queen. And Oberon's sort of uh, jester friend, companion, right-hand guy, Puck, who is a mischief maker of epic proportions. Oh, he loves his job. Yes, he, he really does. does. He's very good at it. <laughs> he is <laughs> Making very... mischief. Yeah. So we learn at the beginning that Oberon and Titania have, are, like, avoiding one another. They want to have nothing to do with each other. And it's all because of this changeling boy that Titania took from the human realm and brought to the fairy realm. And Oberon is, for some reason, really jealous yeah. of that boy and is insisting that she give him up and he will make that boy an attendant of his. And she refuses, just refuses. No, she says, I refuse. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so then she walks off. This is the beginning, I think, of where they have these beautiful speeches, just beautiful, long, very Shakespearean, like what we think of mm -hmm. speeches about their relationship. And both of them, each of them is invested in Theseus and Hippolyta. Mm -hmm. Titania's into Theseus, invested in Theseus, I should say. Not in love with him or anything. Right. They're both happy for the, the marriage. And Oberon has been a supporter of Hippolyta okay. all along. Just a side fact, really. It doesn't actually come into play later, but it's a nice thing to know, and it's what you hear through these long, glorious speeches. At any rate, off to Tanya goes, 
And Oberon tells Puck, I have a brilliant idea. (laughs) I know a flower, right? Where if you drop its dew in somebody's eyes while they sleep, when they awaken, they will fall in love with the first creature they spy. And it doesn't matter what the creature is. It could be anything. A beast, a man, an insect. Yeah. He's being spiteful because he want, he's mad at Titania. Yeah, for not obeying him. Right. Jerk. <laughs> so he sends Puck off to find this flower to cause all this mischief. Oberon, petty, petty, petty. king. Yes. So anyway, this, this whole thing, this whole simple, single plot point of finding this flower is what causes the entire rest of the play to happen. It's the setup. Here we go. Now it gets fun. Right, yeah. everything up until this point has been exposition, as you can tell. Yeah. So Puck returns with this magical flower. Uh-huh. But first, Oberon is still in the woods, and in walks Demetrius and Helena. Oh, that's right. Right, they had already they had left to steal away. Well, into the to night. to go to the woods. Yeah. No, no, mm-hmm. no. You're thinking of Lysander and Hermia. Oh, oh. Sorry. This is Demetrius and Helena oh, who are going uh, off to find Lysander and Hermia. Yes, and. And Oberon's there, hears them coming, and says, Ooh, I'm going to spy. <laughs> creep. Mm-hmm. Not only is he a jerk, but he's a creep. <laughs> uh, this is where we really see Demetrius is, Oh my God, why are you following me? And she's like, I can't, I can't help it. I have to follow you. Just no, she's, it's never dark because <laughs> you're the light and oh, I'll follow you anywhere. And he's so awful. <laughs> he is. He's so mean to her. And she's just, I don't care. Like, just let me be near you. Uh, just treat yeah. me however you want. I think like, he calls her like, you cur, yeah. you dog. Yeah. Is, oh, jeez. He probably used a lot of the insults that were in this book. Oh, that's right. So, anyway, Demetrius is like, oh, and... <laughs> <laughs> he No, he really is. And he's like, I hate you. <laughs> takes I don't off. care if I'm leaving you in the middle of this yep. dark wood and by at, yourself. At midnight. You know, at midnight. I just want to be right, away I, from you. I got to find Hermia and Lysander. That's why right. I'm here. Yeah. Go away. And she's like, oh, and goes chasing after him. Poor thing. Meantime, Puck returns with the flower, gives it to Oberon, and Oberon says, great, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put this on Titania's eyes. But first, Puck, here, take some of this. I just saw these two Athenian lovers, and I really, this poor girl is so in love with this guy, and he's not in love with her. So would you put some of this into this Athenian guy's eyes? And Puck's like, sure. Ah, uh, he goes to find the Athenians in who he's going to meddle with. Yeah. He's a meddler. But Meddlers. Can I pause here or do you have a thought you want to finish? Because you when- go for it and pause okay. because Puck's gone. Oberon is getting set to go off and find Titania. Right. And so that is a key part that I wanted to actually read from the play. Oh. Because in our house, Shakespeare is a thing. And my husband bought this book called How to Teach Your Children Shakespeare. And it is basically saying, hey, when they're at a young age, their minds are sponges. So, you know, they can memorize anything. So this is a great way to, to get them into, into Shakespeare. And when you read the book, the first thing they recommend is this passage from A Midsummer Night's Dream. Cool. And so I can tell you for probably the past, let's see, eight or nine years, I've been hearing this passage recited in our house, and it's just been a fun thing. So <laughs> this is Oberon speaking, and after he he gets the, the flower from Puck, this is what he says. 
I know a bank where the wild thyme blows, where ox lips and the nodding violet grows, quite over-canopied with luscious woodbine, with sweet musk roses and with eglantine. There sleeps Titania, some time of the night, lulled in these flowers with dances and delight, and there the snake throws her enameled skin, weed wide enough to wrap a fairy in, and with the juice of this I'll streak her eyes and make her full of hateful fantasies. So that's the first part of that speech. That's and, great. Yeah. And it's, Thank uh, you. yeah. So there you go. Yeah. I know a bank. Learn it. <laughs> I will. <laughs> Next we find Titania and her fairies and she asks them to sing her to sleep. And they do. And then, of course, Oberon comes in, puts the juice in her eyes. Juice. <laughs> you said do. I, yeah, I like do better than juice. But they refer to it as juice in the stage directions. There you but, go. Ugh. Anyway, sorry, I don't know why that bothers me so much. <laughs> anyway, Oberon juices her up <laughs> and takes off. Yeah, he, yeah. And, and in comes Lysander and Hermia, who have, are on their way out of Athens. But they decide to rest for the night because it's the wee hours. And Lysander wants to all cuddle up and be snuggly with her. And she's, no, you stay away. Sleep over there. And he's like, aw. I and know. She says, she's like, ah, uh, no, to preserve my own modesty. And this is the proper etiquette yeah. for who we are and where we are. You need to go sleep over there. Yeah. And so he does very sweetly. It's he did, actually he a really sweet yeah, scene. And then, of course, Puck wanders in and is, oh, hey. These are the Athenians. Right. I'm going to go and streak those guys' eyes. That yeah. guy. The guy. Just the guy. The guy. And yeah, so he does, takes off, thinking, job well done. Yeah. <laughs> I did it. And then, of course, Demetrius and Helena come in. Helena's still following him. He's still trying to get rid of her. Neither of them see the Lysander and Hermia sleeping on the ground. And Demetrius is, oh, I'm going to take off. And <laughs> you stop following me. And so he runs away again, and she's like, oh, I can't go any I know. further. She's so exhausted. She really wants to follow him, but she can't. So she's looking around, and there she spies Lysander on the ground. And she's like, oh, my gosh, is he asleep? Is he dead? So she goes and, you know, like Lysander. Yeah. And he awakens and suddenly is just over the moon in love with Helena. Right. As soon as he sees her. His juiced up eyes his only have eyes for her. See? Those darn yes, juiced up eyes. I know. And yeah, so he starts spouting all this beautiful love language and poetry and saying how he much adores her and all of this. And she is like, what? What are you talking about? Yeah, she feels like she's being made a fool of. Yeah, absolutely. Because this is a tr really cruel trick. Mm -hmm. This is a really mean joke that you're pulling on me by saying that you love me, even though you know I'm in love with him and he doesn't love me. And, and you're totally yeah. in love with her. And yeah, and she knows. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. That's yeah. right. There's our quadrangle exactly. right there. <laughs> and he won't leave her alone, right? And since she runs away from him, and then he follows her. Right. And at that moment... Of course, of course, of course. Hermia wakes up from a very bad dream and calls out for Lysander, finds out he's not there, and says, well, I gotta go find him. Mm -hmm. So she takes off looking for, for her love. Her love. I want you love. So now we are into Act 3. We're still in the woods. Enter those rude mechanicals, a.k.a. Friends. Friends. 
into the woods to practice the play. Now that the parts have been assigned and they've all looked it over, and here they go. And they want to, they got to do it in secret because they don't want anybody to get, they don't want to spoil the surprise right, of the they, play right. beforehand. So, plot point Titania, still asleep, mm-hmm. in the background, in the fairylands. Now, bottom, good hearted bottom. Joey Tribbiani is concerned <laughs> that when he kills himself, right, he's he's going to upset the ladies. Amy mimicking, knifing herself in the chest. <laughs> I can't help it. I know. I know. We're, we kind of are acting it out a little bit as we're talking about it here for you <laughs> listeners. So he asks Peter Quince if to write a prologue, letting everybody know that none of this is real, right? Like, I'm not really stabbing myself. You don't have to worry. Everything's fine. And then, of course, they, they, they're they worried now also about the lion, right? Is the lion going to scare the ladies? Mm-hmm. Maybe we should write a second prologue to, to make them yes. understand that the lion is not really a lion. No, we don't want anyone fainting. Nope, nope, nope. And then, oh, gosh. So the play of Pyramus and Thisbe that they're performing takes place in the moonlight. And also... All of their dialogue is told between a wall that has this chink in it that they that they talk through. So now now they have to problem solve the moonlight. Yeah. Right? The moonshine and the wall. So they come up with this brilliant idea. Is it? Yeah. All right. Of course it's a brilliant okay. idea. Okay. Uh, okay. They're, they're the rude mechanicals. Oh, okay. So anyway, <laughs> so they decide that it is going to be Tom Snout is going to play the wall. Okay. He will. Let's see. Let him have some plaster or some loam or some rough cast about him to signify wall. Or, or let him hold his fingers thus, and through the crannies shall Pyramus and Thisbe whisper. <laughs> <laughs> Ross Geller replies to this, if that may be, then all is well. Ooh. Right? Problem solved. Problem solved. And then they decide that Moonlight is going to be a lantern held, and that's, that's basically it. Yeah. <laughs> It's fake moonlight, but it's yep. called moonlight, so it is moonlight. Right. Okay. So so nobody's confused in case there isn't any moonlight oh, at that time. Oh, I see. So they're not giving the audience very much credit here. They're just saying. They just want to make sure yeah. everybody, everything's clear. Everything's clear. Right? It's not that they just don't want to confuse people. Okay. That, I think, is their whole message in this scene. Is like they don't want people to be confused. confused. All right. So, uh... Puck actually happens on stage. Com- happens. He comes in. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't just once an actor, oh, always an actor. <laughs> I know. So he comes in and he he watches the mechanicals, which he also refers to as hemp and homespuns, right? And he decides <laughs> that he's going to have some fun. And Bob goes off. Puck follows. And there, off stage, he transforms Bottom's head into the head of an ass. <laughs> A donkey. Donkey. A donkey, donkey head. He now donkey. has a head of a donkey. Yep. And when Bottom walks back on stage, all the other mechanicals are like, what? Ah, yeah, they're like, what? What? Magical ah, evil is this? And they, they run away. And Bottom has no, he's like, what? What I do? He doesn't I, know. No. He so doesn't know that he has a head of an ass. No. Completely confused. And he thinks actually that like everybody running away from him is they're just playing a joke. <laughs> and you said Titania is still asleep in that grove in the wood. Until 
They awaken her with all their noise and clamor, ah. and she spies none other than Bottom with the donkey head. But she's got the juice in the eyes. Falls in love. Ah. So, Titania, oh, so blown away by this beautiful man, this, well, beast, beast. is singing, singing, oh. This lovely song, and she has her attendants wait on him, and they take him back to her place, basically. Yes. <laughs> her bower. <laughs> and then um, Oberon and Puck come back on, and this is the scene where Puck delivers his whole, like, my mistress with a monster is in love speech. Great monologue. He gets all the best monologues, really, really, in this yeah. play. Um, and then... Demetrius and Hermia come on. Of course, not able to see Oberon and Puck. And she actually thinks Demetrius did something to Lysander. Oh, right? that's right. And he toys with her, letting her believe that maybe he did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. What a jerk. And then, <laughs> stupid, he falls asleep. While asleep, Oberon is like, uh, oh, hey, oh, yeah. that's the guy. You got the guy, right? And Puck is like, uh, what are you talking about? I've never seen that guy that's before. Not the guy. And, and he's like, but that's the guy. And he's no, uh, there was another guy. And in Oberon's all like, oh, <laughs> you must fix this, Puck. And so Puck goes off to fix it by finding, I think there's an antidote that he's okay. going off to find. So meanwhile, to set things right, Oberon streaks Demetrius's eyes, right? Oh, right. Yeah. And, and, also, oh, he must go. He fixed it. So Puck also went off to fetch Helena. Oh, because he wants Helena to be when, the person when Demetrius, Demetrius wakes up. Okay. Exactly. But of course, because Lysander's so in love with her, he's just tagging along like like yeah. a smitten, you know, puppy. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good one. Demetrius does wake and he does see Helena and he does fall in love with her right away. Right away. Right away. And then Helena is like, what? is going on yeah, she's now thinks, you're mocking yeah. me too oh, it's tragic she's <sighs> just everybody's you guys making fun s- suck yeah, yeah. Like, leave me alone what did i ever and do then to you except love you yeah and at some point hermia arrives yeah and that just goes from bad to worse it's hilarious helena. before that though both the boys are like fighting over helena by Saying the other one be like, no, you take Hermia. No, you take Hermia. You're the one who loved her the most or whatever, right? Like, there's that whole thing, too. And she walks into the middle of this, Hermia does. And she goes over to Lysander. She's like, oh, my gosh, you know, what happened? You left me. Why would you leave me? And he's like, why would I stay with you? I don't love you anymore. I don't love you. you. You... I love her. Yeah. Ugh. The worst. So now Hermia is completely confused. And let's use the term gobsmacked. And Helena... Seeing her, like, confusion, in quotes, thinks she, too, is in on the joke and mm-hmm. the mocking and the all of the, the this horrible thing that these boys are doing to her. Right. The, the, the two girls are so confused. Like, neither of them knows what's, what's happening or what no. to believe. I, I know the tension just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And then they're all fighting. Yeah. Helena has this great speech about how close she and... Hermia were and all the joys and times they shared. And does that mean nothing? Like, really? Right, yeah. You're doing this to me? And, and then, yeah. So the girls start to fight. Yeah. They use, the, they, they're saying things to each other like, you're a canker blossom. You're a thief of love. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and, and they start to fight and the boys try to hold Hermia back because she's going to go claw her eyes at her, Helena's yeah, eyes out, right? She really Meow. is. She is mad. Oh, she is. Mad as a hornet. Not only, not only has she won the love of her love, Lysander, but now she's insulting Hermia, who didn't do anything. So the girls are fighting, the boys start to fight, everybody's fighting, it's 
just chaos and fabulous. Yes. <laughs> it's a hilarious scene. It's actually one of my favorites in the entire play. Um, I was in a Shakespeare class in my undergrad and we had to perform a scene. We got to choose the scene for our final. And so my friends and I chose this one. Oh, fun. And we had so much fun with it. We actually set it in like a contemporary time and we were out like camping. Mm-hmm. So we all had all this camping gear on stage with us. And like it, the physicality of these scenes, we had so much fun planning that out. And it was just a delight. To, so this is like to get hair pulling and knocking each other over yeah, and yeah, just I, all that kind of tug of war and the four four characters all just yeah I think at the line where Hermia is saying she's gonna claw her eyes out I actually like flung myself towards <laughs> her and the guys had to catch me okay so yeah, much fun all right anyway mm-hmm. moving on the boys decide that they're gonna go duel. Right. Oh, right. Foolish, <laughs> foolish boys. And Hermia and Helena both believe that the other person's at fault, right? Like they both of them wholeheartedly believe that their like best friend is yeah, in the wrong, is, right. is, is like hurting them, right? Mm-hmm. Intentionally. And, and so they, the girls just totally defeated. They leave. Puck, mischief maker, mischief maker decides he's going to have to fix this. So, this is another really fun scene where That's right. Puck causes all this confusion and leads the guys off into different directions. And everything, <laughs> is, everything is, again, it's just like such chaos. And he's he like, I hear you, Demetrius. Yes. Yeah, like, and he charges forward uh, and he has right. a big stick or something. Yep. And then and he's like, me. where, where'd you go? <laughs> and then eventually, I guess everybody's just worn out yeah, from the evening's crash. events and Arm. they all fall asleep and Puck corrects his mistake mm-hmm. by um, giving Lysander basically the antidote. So lovers are on the ground sleeping. Puck has corrected all the problems and hopefully everything's going to be okay. Now we cut to the scene of Bottom and Titania, yeah. right? And she is just doting on him, mm-hmm. doting on him. And he's just like, oh, baby, <laughs> bring it on. So, Even yeah. though he still has the head of a donkey. Oh, he totally has the head yeah. of a donkey. He still doesn't know he has but the he head of a donkey. Know. But yeah. he's being doted on by mm-hmm. the queen of the fairies. Yeah. I'm going to say no, no to that. But they, they're... <laughs> all this dotage causes them to get sleepy. Oh, so they yes. fall back asleep. And then Oberon gives Titania that antidote. And she wakes up and is like... <gasps> just had the worst vision. <laughs> it was horrifying. And like, and that's the end of Titania yeah. and Bottom. And she's just like, oh, oh. Yeah. Pretty, pretty stricken. Pretty, that. pretty yes. sad. So she's horrified. And um, so uh, good on you, Oberon. I guess you got your wish. You jerk. So then Puck restores Bottom's head to its natural, natural state. state. Okay. <laughs> Let's say it that way. And they all go merrily away, but Bottom remains asleep. And then Theseus, Hippolyta, and Aegeus show up in the woods, right? Looking for the kids. Okay. And there they are. Hello. We happen upon the lovers. All four of them asleep on the ground. And then the lovers awake. And this is a really interesting bit because in the play, there's no instruction whatsoever. I mean, I guess it's just assumed that as they wake, they will see the correct person. Like Demetrius will see Helena first, right? Yep. That's really the key. Mm-hmm. It has to be that way. So whoever's directing this play, make sure that yeah, happens. Yeah, make sure that happens. Yeah, don't overlook that small mm-hmm. little fact. <laughs> 
So Theseus, Aegeus, and, and Hippolyta are like, what the hell is going on, guys? And yeah. Lysander confesses. Because he's a good dude. He is. Right? Yeah. He is. He, he confesses to their plan to run away. Yep. And he really wants to marry Hermia. And of course, of course, Aegeus is like, still not giving you my permission. Yeah. She has to marry Demetrius. And yeah. Demetrius is like, uh, excuse me, I'm in love with her now. Yes. So could we not? And Aegeus very grumpily is like, no, no, no. Yeah. He's <laughs> fighting it. Yeah, he is. But Theseus, good, kind, benevolent duke that he is, says, I'm going to overrule you. Let the lovers pair as they wish. Right. Yeah. So Lysander and Hermia. <sighs> Everybody's yep. happily And Demetrius and Helena, thank God. Yes. <laughs> so they go all, they all go off back to Athens. Now we're back in Athens, still in Act 4, and the mechanicals are looking for Bottom. They don't know where he is. They can't find him. They're really concerned because if he doesn't show up, he's the star of the play. The play will the not play- go on. Yeah. And then Bottom comes in after having woken up and is like, yeah, I got a story to tell you guys. I had the craziest dream. Well, yeah, and I got to tell you about it. But first, we got to go do our play. So come on, everybody. Go, go, go. <laughs> go get ready. So they all go and they all get their stuff together and they they head off back home. Now, Act 5 begins back in Athens still. Last act of the play. We are now at Theseus and Hippolyta's wedding. Da, 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 da. And the lovers come in, they get seated, and then Theseus is given a list of potential en- entertainments for their nuptial event, right? Right. Celebration. And he doesn't like any of them, <laughs> right? <laughs> He's not really wowed by any of them. And this is like the most witty bit of dialogue in the play. It's got a little bit more of that to it when he's like, yeah, no. He's like, yeah, no. Uh, what? And <laughs> then then he reads the description for the Mechanicals play, their play of Pyramus and Thisbe. The tragedy of okay. Pyramus and Thisbe. <laughs> ah, true love. <laughs> anyway, so Theseus decides that he's going to watch that play because it sounds strange and interesting, the description. And Philistrate is, ah, oh, no, you don't, 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 don't take that one. Don't, don't, don't. And Theseus is like, nah, I really want that one. So he goes off, fetches the players, and the players come to perform their play. This is hilarious. And this is the asides alone from everybody watching the play about what is this guy? The prologue, it, like the whole <laughs> prologue thing, like all of these sweet things that the mechanicals put together because it, it's know, such a they, stupid thing. They backfire, right? Like to the audience, the audience is like, ah. Uh, why are they telling us that none of this is real? Like, why are they warning us of the lion? <laughs> like, they did. They went overboard a little bit. They did. Yeah. And it's hilarious because, like, when the moon comes out and there's a lantern and the moon is like, I'm, I'm represent moonshine. I'm also the man in the moon and this other thing. And somebody is like, hey, if you're like, <laughs> <laughs> They're echoing. If he's a man in the moon, shouldn't he be in the lantern? And poor, poor, I know. poor Starveling is, look, I'm just here to tell you that I'm the moon. <laughs> it's hilarious. It's just so funny. That's why I played it as Rachel Green. Because yeah. she, she would just be like, come on. <laughs> like, uh, like mm-hmm. she, she does that sort of annoyed thing. Like, I'm just here to do this. <laughs> Better than anybody. Yes. Anyway, yes. The play comes to its conclusion. Pyramus and Thisbe are all dead. <laughs> it's a rousing success because it's so ridiculous. It's, yeah. And then the whole thing, the whole nuptial ceremony ends with a dance and a song. And they go away 
and the fairies come to end the play, to end the nuptials, to call down the night, and Puck comes in with his broom to sweep mm-hmm. the stage, the, the floors, which is what Robin Goodfellow was known to have done. Mm-hmm. That little spirit in the home who would come and sweep sweep for you, sweep your kitchen at night, mm-hmm. and the ladies, the housewives, would leave for that. Yep. And then, of course, the whole play ends with Titania and Oberon blessing all the lovers. Yay! Yay! Love. And then Puck closes the whole play with his very famous If We Shadows Have Offended address to the audience. Hmm. And done. (laughs) Thank you so much, Amy, for walking us through the play. When you think about it, it, it was only a couple of days from start to finish of this lovely Midsummer Night's Dream. <laughs> and I was thinking, because we were, you and I were talking about the format, and I first had pulled out the, this Riverside Shakespeare, which is like almost 2,000 pages. And there's a little tiny section that's a Midsummer Night's Dream. And I started reading it, and I kept having to go back, and it was very difficult. Not just, it's just, it's a play, and it's Shakespeare, and... I just wasn't getting it fully. So I decided to look for a spoken word Mm. and it was a BBC production that I found and I listened to and I got way more out of it. It was different characters and you could really feel the emotion and, you know, there were fairy sounds and just all those extras, Um, you know, and then lastly though is really seeing it on stage and and i have seen it on um, washington dc and probably more than once because there's so many different adaptations that tell it from different different time periods etc cetera, etc cetera. but that is the absolute best way to see a play obviously is, yes is on the stage and um yeah so thank you for I'll... sharing this this stage <laughs> with me as we discussed the bard yeah. So you were talking about different adaptations, and I have this like little Cambridge School Shakespeare. So it's really geared towards students, but in it, they have all of these photos of productions of this play, and they are so different. Like all of them have their own like theme and setting, and it's pretty darn amazing. The variations on Puck, there yeah. were like five different photos of completely different Pucks throughout. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I love that. You know, I was thinking about the difficulty you had reading it, and I come at these things like a- as an actor. Like I always read as an actor. Like even books I read. Oh. Like in in my head, I can hear the different voices and... Interesting. And the differentiation of characters. Like one of my dreams was always to read books on tape. Oh, you'd be great at that. I love reading. But they don't, I don't know if they call them books on tape anymore. Oh, God. (laughs) How about audiobooks? I didn't date myself or anything with that. No, not at all. No, I think, yeah, Yeah. one of the first, before I even met you in person, I heard your voice. Did you, did you know that? Do you remember that? No. Because you, when you were in Schenectady at the open door, you, did a week was like a weekly or a monthly radio program so yes i do know the show you're talking about so uh the wamc is the uh sort of npr affiliate of the public radio up in the capital district in albany is Mm, where they're located and every tuesday morning they would have a local independent bookseller come in and talk books and i got to do that a lot and i loved doing that that was one of the best parts of my well i and i we were trying to get you come down here for a while um 
we had found this like somehow and it was linked on maybe the bookstore's page or something yeah. and and we listened to it and we were like we need to meet her. So it was just, you just were, you sounded you know, just the way you're articulate and how you talked about the books. Yeah, it was great Aww, fun. Thanks. So maybe we can get you there someday. Eh. When we write our own book. What? Oh, yeah. We have this now. Like, no, I, we yeah. have this, which is a really a lot of fun. But one thing that I will close with. Okay. Well, two things. Two things. The first is the bard actually inspired the naming of my store and i will tell that story now so i was at i was at the i was at a restaurant across the street here basins with my husband we were waiting for our table and the other tv was on and i'd been trying to come up with a name for a long time but an image of shakespeare came on the screen and maybe it was around his birthday or something. And I just said out loud, Bard's Alley. It literally just popped into my head. I love the idea of a bard, you know, storytelling, because it can be done in so many ways. Mm-hmm. And the spoken word was around way before the written word. And that's why I wanted so much to do a podcast, because it's just a different way of storytelling, right? And then there are plays and then, you know, there's music, you know, lyrics, you know, all these different ways to express yourself. Right. And then with the alley part, I had a vision of Diagon Alley from the Harry Potter series and the discovery that you want to make when you're in a bookstore. And a friend of mine, Jane Miscavige, who, thank you, Jane, you're amazing and never could have gotten here without you. She said, you know, it's kind of a mash up of old and new classics i know and i was like you are right and that was our has been our our description tagline since the very beginning and yeah so shakespeare inspired the naming of the store bard's alley bookshop and that is superb that is superb so the next podcast which i think is timely we are going to talk about harry potter yeah and it's the 25th anniversary of the release of the first book and we're gonna talk about all that's happened from when it was released until today so we're gonna try to cover a lot but we we really hope that we can do that don't worry there will be no recap per se that's we've been doing so far (laughs) particularly not like today's for the harry potter because that is a big series yeah that's a that's a lot i Yeah. So with that, next time we meet in August, J.K. Rowling, Harry Potter, and we cannot leave without saying thank you for listening and a big thank you to our mix master for doing such an amazing job for us every week. Producer Ryan Grover. And thanks again, listeners. We are out. What do you say, Amy? Should we book it? Yep. Let's book it.